Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. This week, we are continuing our series highlighting the importance of theological education by having a discussion today on the biblical languages. And to help me with this conversation, I'm going to be joined by two friends, Rob Coleman and Jeremy Robbins. Rob Coleman is an Old Testament PhD student here at Southeastern who also earned his MA in Old Testament. And Jeremy Robbins is a two-time graduate of Southeastern, most recently earning his MA in the biblical languages. Quick fact about Jeremy, real quick. Over the last, I don't know, a year maybe, Mm -hmm. you have been my opponent in a little game called chess. That's true. How many Mm -hmm. matches would you say that we have played just in that small time frame there? I'm not sure we want to know, but it's, (laughs) you know, 200 plus. I would agree with that. Here's the thing, though. The winner of each match doesn't only get the bragging rights, I feel like. Mm -hmm. There's more at stake here. Mm -hmm. The winner of each match, just for our listeners, I know they're curious about this, the winner gets the coveted trophy. That's true. uh, Which is literally (laughs) a marble night piece Mm -hmm. uh, that is pretty heavy. It's got some weight to it. It does, yeah. And right now, who has that? It goes back and forth so much, I can't remember at the moment, to be honest with you. Is it me? See, I thought, I, I thought this would be the moment that you would you'd be like, man, I got that thing on oh, my yeah, desk right I, now. I did win I took last. some yeah. I took some massive L's yesterday. Yeah. It, was, it was a tough day. But brothers, I, I'm, I'm so thankful for both of y'all joining today's discussion on the importance of biblical languages. So just to get the conversation going, let's just start by hearing your journeys. Like what made you want to pursue theological education in the first place? And and why did you choose to focus specifically on the biblical languages or even on a specific, you know, the Old Testament? Yeah, I, uh, I became a Christian when I was 13 uh, in a Southern Baptist Church in Florida. And I became immediately fascinated with theology, just kind of ate it up. That was my hobby, if you will, in high school. And so as soon as I graduated, I knew I wanted to go to Bible college. Uh, so I went to Boyce College, undergrad of Southern Seminary. And my fr- and my plan was to get a bachelor's degree in biblical studies, MDiv at Southern in pastoral ministry, and pastor a Southern Baptist church for my whole life. That was mm-hmm. kind of the plan. And then the first semester uh, at Boyce, I took Greek, and I just fell in love with it. And actually, my whole undergrad was focused on Greek and New Testament, and uh, then when I graduated from Boyce, I, s- I started working on an MA at RTS in Florida because I moved back to Florida to get married. And I started having all these questions about the Old Testament. And that then led me to focus more on Hebrew, Old Testament studies, and uh, of course, maintain maintain Greek a- as well. So really, it was uh, serendipitous, if you will. Mm. Providential, <laughs> maybe, is the better word. I-, I planned to be a pastor. And then my first semester, I got really interested in biblical languages, academia, and uh, have have never looked back. So that was that was kind of how I, I guess, fell into this. Uh, still love the church. Still am open to pastoral ministry. I guess in the future. But it was that first semester in college, Greek one with Barry Joslin. If he ever listens to this, uh, I just fell in love with biblical languages. Yeah, for me, um, simply put, I wanted to pursue theological education, both in undergrad and graduate. 
um, to be prepared for whatever God might want to do with my life. I didn't, I didn't really know exactly what that was going to look like, but I knew that I would be serving him and his church in some way. Um, so I came to Southeastern with like a blank canvas and I didn't know what God wanted for my life, but I felt his leading to get a theological education. So I just, I was being faithful with what I, what I did know. Um, but as God began to paint the picture on the canvas, I sometimes thought I could tell what the picture was going to be. But um, over time, it took shape in ways that I didn't anticipate and couldn't have. Um, but for your second question of why did I choose to focus on the biblical languages, that was something that I came to Southeastern already wanting. Um, I Let me continue with the canvas metaphor, though. Um, to one thing I did know from the start of my studies in undergrad was that I wanted to walk away from this place with as proficient a knowledge as possible of the biblical languages. Um, why? Because the Bible is central to my thinking and my living and my understanding of God. So it seemed only natural that I would spend time studying his word deeply, and I didn't want to stop at translation. Um, so my desire to study the Bible, and specifically the biblical languages, is the canvas on which the picture is being painted. I didn't know what the picture would be, but I knew what the picture was being painted on, and that was a desire to know God's word um, and live it and teach it no matter where he would send me. That's really helpful. Real quick before we move into our next question, I just have to like insert that all of us are wearing the same color shirt. We are. So yeah. like I feel like that like we were prepped for this. We were prepped. Yeah. And it was like unprepared. A, yeah. Would you say this is maroon or just burgundy or I would say yeah. it's maroon. Okay. Yeah, more maroon. I would say yeah. yours is a little darker. Yeah. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I would also, say Also, I want to say I'm impressed by Jeremy's metaphor. Mm-hmm. Uh that's, that's, that was a nice metaphor. Thank you. Get us yeah. going. Yeah. So you know, you've shared a little bit about your journeys and kind of what what got you kind of on this trajectory. What would you say to what would be your pitch for someone who uh, is wanting to start or further their degree? What would your, be, your pitch be for them to consider maybe studying the biblical languages? Give me a, a, a quick pitch. What do you think, Rob? Oh, I was going to let you go first. Uh yeah, I kind of like the tool – to use another metaphor, mm-hmm. I like the tool belt metaphor. Mm-hmm. And in many ways in seminary or even Bible college, you're, you're, you're building a tool belt for ministry, right? You're, you're, mm-hmm. uh, you're uh, acquiring all these different tools to serve the church. And this is just one of the most fundamental tools in the tool belt in my opinion. In, in some ways, mm-hmm. I just think it, it's basic, it's necessary, you've got to have it. And mm-hmm. I know maybe that seems sort of simplistic, but – you know, we're Protestants, right? We believe in sola right. scriptura. The, mm-hmm. You know, the Bible is the chief uh, authority for our faith and our practice. And so we should want to understand it clearly, know it well. And to do that, you got to know the biblical languages. So th- we're going to get into this in a little bit about the hes- hesitancy and difficulty, I think, with learning the biblical languages. But for me, it's just a matter of you got to do it. Mm-hmm. it it's, worth, it's worth the hard work. It's worth the effort. Mm-hmm. Um do perform a cost benefit analysis. Put in the hard work up front, and then you have this tool that you can use for the rest of your life mm-hmm. in serving the church and studying the scriptures, studying the scriptures well, and and teaching them well. So, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't want to hide anything, you know, about in terms in terms of the difficulty and the work that needs to be put in. But mm-hmm. I'd want to say perform a cost benefit analysis because it's it's worth it in the end. Uh, you you will you will most definitely not regret it. You know. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that would be my, my first my first pitch. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So, do you want a one liner kind of pitch? You, if you have one, oh, give well, it let's to hear me. this okay. one liner. Listen, I'm I'm sus- the suspense is building. Okay. Now. Seriously, <laughs> does that person want to teach and study the Bible or a translation of the Bible? So I'd say that kind of tongue in cheek, yep. right? Yep. But let me let me say this. So Sebbets is a great commission seminary. 
We spend a lot of time emphasizing the importance of missions, especially cross-cultural and overseas missions. But one of the greatest barriers in overseas missions, aside from spiritual blindness, is the language barrier. I mean, our International Mission Board sends their folks through years of language training so they can be maximally effective among their target people by engaging them in their heart languages. So let's transfer that illustration to the Bible. If we want to be maximally effective in our personal understanding of and ability to communicate the Bible, we need to deal with it in its heart languages. Mm. Can, I, can I add two more? Go for it. Or two more quick pitches. Uh, one is just the, the text in the New Testament where Paul, you know, it encourages Timothy, I believe, to rightly handle the word of truth. And um, I think learning the biblical languages is key to being able to rightly handle the word of truth. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'd say is it's fascinating and fun. Like, again, there's a lot of hard work mm-hmm. you got to put in up front. But when you put in that hard work, it's really fun. Because yeah. not only can you read the New Testament, now you can read the Septuagint, mm-hmm. read the Hebrew Bible. You can see, oh, this Paul here quotes the Septuagint, but here he quotes the Hebrew text. Why does he do that? There, there's just mm-hmm. all kinds of... For me, at least, I would say it's really fun. Yeah. Uh, once you put in that yeah. hard work, the first in, in the Hebrew one and, and Greek one, uh, there's a lot of fun to be had yeah. if you put in the hard work. So it's front. almost a warning you're giving. Yeah. Be careful because you may become a language nerd if that's you really right. invest that's right. in that's this. Right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, Rob, I mean, you hit on this just a second ago. Yeah. Often students and pastors have a hesitancy mm-hmm. when it comes to learning or using the languages. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, I served as a college advisor here, and I just remember when those students would come in and we'd look over kind of their academic plan, there was there was a, a fear yep. when it came to knowing, I've got to take Greek or I've got to take Hebrew. I know it's coming. I've been putting it mm-hmm. off. So, so why do you think there is a hesitancy when it comes to learning and using the languages? And what are some practical ways to overcome any of these potential fears and hesitancies? Yeah, I think some people think you have to be a genius, mm-hmm. um, but it's really not a matter of intelligence, in my mm-hmm. opinion. It's just not like becoming a scientist. and I, you're not. It's different than becoming an astrophysicist. Some mm-hmm. people are cut out for that. Some people are not. The, the real struggle is it just takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. That's the real issue. Uh, if people are willing to put in the time up front, they can mm-hmm. do it. Uh, and I would say that honestly because I don't think I'm a genius. I, I, I don't consider myself of, you know, above average intelligence. It's just when I was in college, I got the advice to do, if you can, 10 hours of work a week on your out of, out of class for, your, for, for Greek. Now, I tell people nowadays, shoot for seven, one hour a day. Mm-hmm. If you can do more than that, that's great. But putting in seven to 10 or more hours a week on a language uh, learning vocabulary, learning the grammar, learning how to translate, mm-hmm. that will pay off after a year and you'll be equipped for the, the syntax and exegesis class in the third semester. But yeah, I think a lot of people just think it's, it's the geniuses that do the biblical languages. That's the really smart people in the seminary. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion is, no, it's just the people who have put in the time up front because it is time consuming. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and man, I've, I've talked with students before who are, honestly, I've talked to students who are too busy to yeah. do the biblical languages. And I've been like, hey, you, you might need to wait a semester or two until your, your yeah. life situation changes. Mm-hmm. It's almost a humbling experience, too, because yeah. I mean, we, we've been in seminary. We've been around seminary students. We, we maybe were those seminary students who come to seminary and we just we feel like we've got a good grasp on everything. Mm-hmm. It might be a really humbling experience for the student listening to just take yeah. that, that class first just to say, you know what? There are a lot of things that I do not know, and yeah. these languages are one of them. Yeah, and it, can, exactly. it can be something just to kind of help set the trajectory for the rest of your theological 
psychological education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To use a metaphor, and then I'll, I'll let Jeremy speak, to use a metaphor, I think foundation is a good one. In some mm-hmm. ways, biblical languages are the foundation for all the other disciplines because mm-hmm. it's the languages that really allows you into biblical studies. Biblical mm-hmm. studies is the foundation of theology, historical mm-hmm. theology, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so in some ways, I think it's good to think about taking these courses maybe up front in your degree to lay the foundation mm-hmm. on which to build throughout your, your time in seminary. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So why, where does the hesitancy come from? Um, difficulty, I think, but also lack of time. Yep. Um, this would be for students or pastors. I mean, pastors are, right. most pastors are, they've got way more on their plate than is reasonable. Um, and so they're thinking that they don't have time to be adding on language learning. Um, so what do you do? Well, one thing that I always think and say uh, on this topic is that the successful student of the biblical languages is thinking long term. You've got to set achievable goals. Most people are thinking, I've got to get this mastered, this language or that language in a semester, in like two semesters or three semesters. And that is just not realistic. Right. I don't know personally anybody yeah. that that's realistic for unless you literally have nothing else in your life and, and you're just doing this. Right. Um, so you've got to set achievable goals. Um, and that, let's say, like, if you want to learn to read your Greek New Testament or Hebrew Old Testament uh, in five years, um, you know, with relative ease and little use of a dictionary, that's an achievable goal. Mm-hmm. If you want to say you want to do one of those in five years, I don't know anybody that can't reach that if they just are willing to put in the little bits of time along the way to help them get there. Five years is a good goal. You can think 10 years. I want to be able to read the whole Bible in its original languages um, with relative ease and little use of a dictionary. That's an achievable goal. But you've got to set achievable goals Mm -hmm. and think, you know, lifelong, long term. Don't try to cram it all into one year, two years. And and one other thing I would add is to learn in community, which is, you know, you probably hear that a lot in a lot of fields. But we have at Sebits a biblical languages for everyone student group that Mm -hmm. does two things in particular, offers tutoring for students. And on, it provides weekly reading groups. And I think that's critical, you know, like why not get together with someone who's farther along in the languages right. for assistance, yeah. you know. So I think that learning and community component is yeah. is critical. The last thing I just want to say on that is I want to echo what Rob was saying about the it's not just for geniuses. I, I feel the same way you do. I don't mm-hmm. see myself as somebody of higher intelligence yep. or anything like that. I just wanted to be able to read the Bible. Yeah. And so I was willing to put in the time and I had great teachers along the way and people to support me. But it's been consistency more than anything. Discipline, I guess. D- discipline over yeah. intelligence. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's issue. good. Yeah. That's really good. So I you know, as you guys are talking about this, the the undergrad, the exercise science undergrad of mine is starting to think. It's starting to to click here. Because what y'all are describing sounds a lot like exercise and muscles here. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really hard to get started, but once you have a routine and you start doing it, you realize how much you love it. You realize how good it is for you. And if you don't use the things that you're learning, uh, you can lose them. Mm -hmm. In fact, you, you will lose them. And it can be very intimidating for someone who is exercising and has a really good plan and all of a sudden there's something in their life that prevents them from doing it to get back into it because you realize... That was really hard, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to go through all of that again just to get, you know, to get back where I was. And so, you know, let's talk pastors with this. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a pastor's podcast here. For the pastor listening to this podcast who took the languages in seminary but hasn't really touched them since, what are some ways he could re-strengthen those biblical language muscles? And if you don't mind, maybe even share a couple of resources you might recommend for him to use as he tries to strengthen those back up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so 
my go-to advice whenever I talk about this with somebody is immediately start incorporating the biblical languages in your devotions. Um, when you're doing your daily reading or whatever it is, if you're in the New Testament or Old Testament, and this is more for people who have have some past experience with this, this is going to be helpful for them. Um, do your reading and then just open your Greek New Testament or open your Hebrew Bible and just look at one of the verses that you read in your English translation today. And then just look at it and see what you can identify. You already know what it says in English. So now just look at it in Greek or Hebrew to see what you can identify mm. and then move on. And that's it. That takes a couple of minutes, like two minutes in your devotional time and do that every day and do that for a, do that for a month. You will start feeling much more comfortable opening your Hebrew or Greek Bible. You'll feel much more comfortable locating stuff on the page. You'll also start to see the puzzle pieces come together again that you used to know and be able to identify easily. So just start easy. Just mm-hmm. look at a verse. It's good. Anybody can do that. Right. Um, let me just mention one resource before we talk about more. Now we hear from Rob. Yeah. But one resource you could pair with this is a resource called, they have this for Hebrew too, Daily Dose. So there's Daily Dose of Greek. Rob was probably going to mention this, Daily Dose of Hebrew. These are two-minute videos that uh, analyze grammatically the Greek or the Hebrew uh, verse, you know, and they typically work through a, through, the Bible, uh, through a book of the Bible. So you could pair that with your looking at your one verse, that's good. your daily devotional, and we could talk about other stuff after mm-hmm. Rob. No, I think that's great. Uh, all I would add is don't be afraid to reread your elementary grammar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think pastors probably go back to their counseling textbooks. Ho- hopefully mm. they go back to their counseling textbooks. Right. <laughs> uh, probably go back to their theology textbooks. Why not go back to your Greek and Hebrew textbook? What's don't the be- point of all these books in your library that's if right. you don't go back to <laughs> Exactly. Them? That's why you spend all this money on them. So don't be afraid to do that. Um I think another thing that might be really motivating for pastors are two volumes by two Sabbaths professors called Exegetical Gems from Biblical Greek by mm-hmm. Ben Merkel, Exegetical yeah. Gems uh, from Biblical great, Hebrew by Tim Party. Mm-hmm. Both of those were actually written with the pastor in mind to kind of reignite the interest in learning the languages and using the languages yeah. in, in preaching and teaching. And so I, I, I've read I've read Hardy's book. He's my supervisor. I've looked at Merkel's book. Haven't read all the way through it. But mm-hmm. are but you I, getting brownie points for mentioning him? In this, I don't by the know. Way? You I, need to I like just slide this under the yeah. table and just be like, "Hey, man, I just I shouted you out." I, I probably I, I think I should at least <laughs> I, instead of brownie points. I want how about brownies? Like, yeah, I'll just take some brownies. <laughs> That's minimal <laughs> for doing this. But I, I mean, I think they give great examples of mm-hmm. usefulness mm-hmm. of the language for preaching and teaching uh, that will really ignite a flame probably in some pastors. Yeah. I have some other uh, resources, but that's where I'd start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, the book that Dr. Black uh, wrote, what is it? Learn. Yes. Uh, is it Learn? He's got a learn to of... read New Testament Greek. Yes. Intro grammar. Yeah. 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 So that is a very small, really mm-hmm. helpful book that, that I used when I took him for mm-hmm. Greek. Yeah. That uh, that could be really easy. Or is, that, yeah. is there also his, it's still Greek to me? Yeah, is that that's, a second that's one. another one too. For, yeah. That's intermediate. Yeah. yeah. It's like second year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think another thing along the lines of Jeremy's advice would be to get a reader's Bible. Mm-hmm. So get a reader's Greek New yeah. Testament, a reader's Hebrew Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have one for the Septuagint too. And so that, that makes the reading easier because mm-hmm. you have you have vocabulary helps and you can just work, you know, page by page, put your bookmark in one day. And mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think I, I just want to return to what Jeremy said. This is an achievable goal to mm-hmm. read the Hebrew Bible and the Greek New Testament every day. Uh, is an achievable goal. And I think for pastors, uh, if they'll take the time to relearn, review, wh- whatever stage they're at, then, then start using it in preaching and teaching. Yeah. Like, you know, just 
try to translate, even if you can't do it every week, uh, translate, translate the passage. I have a pastor who, I have a pastor friend who told me that at least the New Testament, he would always try to translate the passage before he preached. And with the Hebrew, especially when he's preaching through narrative, he didn't always translate the whole thing, yeah. but he would, he would when he could, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's another, I mean, pastors got to preach, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. if, if you can do your exegesis yeah. uh, or try to do part of your exegesis in the original languages. That's a good mm-hmm. transition. So yeah. let's talk about some specific examples. So Jeremy, you kind of repping Greek here. Rob, yeah. you're kind of repping Hebrew here. Sure. What are some specific examples of how beneficial the languages are in that studying and teaching process of the Bible? What what are pastors and teachers missing when they don't have at least a working knowledge of the languages? So just kind of hitting high level real quick. There, When we read the text, there's a variety of levels of meaning in the text. Now, I'm not saying that there are multiple meanings, but that there are layers of meaning that work together to communicate the meaning. But the one layer of meaning that most folks often use a reference is lexical meaning, which we see in word studies. So it's word meanings. But lexical meaning is just one small layer of the overall meaning. And if we limit ourselves to just word studies, we miss out on the opportunity to clearly articulate the overall meaning of the text. So I mean, just to clarify, the fact that anyone uses any of the biblical languages in their teaching or preaching means they see value in it. They have limited time and space, so they're not just needlessly incorporating material into their teaching and preaching. But for many, their use of the biblical languages stops at word studies. Um, The reason often is their facility with languages. Maybe that's as far as they can go. And I certainly don't want to discourage that, but I want to say instead, go further if you see the value, let me tell you that there's even greater value than what we can make use of in, in word studies. Um, so in addition to word meanings, there are syntactical meanings, that is like word combinations, how they work together, um, and discourse meanings. Uh, an example of discourse meanings would be how certain discourse features are used to structure a discourse and reveal emphasis or priority of thought. You might have things, um, discourse features, can be like change of place, change of topic, change of characters or participants, change of you know events, um, things that are going on in the text that that mark um, shifts in thought. But there are other things. There are um, discourse markers that can signal emphasis in thought, um, like the conjunction un. So if you take Romans fourteen for example, five times Paul uses un to mark out core principles in his in that chapter. Mm. And if we're to if we teach from this chapter without hitting on these main points, um, we would miss the author's intentional emphasis. Right. And we care about authorial intent, and right. and it helps us um, to determine authorial intent by reading it in Greek or in Hebrew. Um, so just to hit on those verses, if somebody wants to look at them, it's Romans fourteen eight, fourteen twelve, fourteen thirteen, fourteen sixteen, fourteen nineteen. All of those he marks out a core principle in his teaching. Um, and let's hear from Rob. Yeah, I, I'm all about the discourse analysis too in Hebrew in Hebrew Old Testament. Uh, yeah, one example I thought of was interbiblical allusions based on shared language. So sometimes translations capture 
uh, similarities in language between texts. And just to take a quick step back, uh, all throughout the Old Testament and then the new, from the New Testament to the Old Testament, authors mm-hmm. allude to previous texts to under to shape their text in light of that previous text. So, for example, I just taught a course in uh, our local prison program. Uh, on the book of Genesis, and it happens all throughout Genesis. The author is shaping a particular narrative in light of a, a previous narrative, right? right? Mm. And New Testament authors do this all the time, right? They directly cite uh, the Old Testament, but they also allude to the Old Testament in their language. And sometimes translations faithfully capture uh, those allusions with their translation. Sometimes they don't. And when they don't, if you don't know those biblical languages, you'll miss it. Mm. Now, I was thinking about examples and and what I decided to do is to give a very recent example, one that came up in my class just this week, uh, to demonstrate the prevalence of this. So in, in Genesis uh, chapter 4, Lamech, you'll remember, uh, violent figure, uh, descendant of the line of Cain, in, in Genesis 4.23, he boasts to his two wives that he's killed a man for wounding him. Mm. And the text mm. says harag, which is one of the verbs for kill or slay, and then mm. ish, the singular word for man. Now, when, now, now, skip all the way ahead in Genesis to Genesis chapter 49, where Jacob is blessing his sons at the end of his lives, at the end of his life. And what does he say about Simeon and Levi? He actually mm. uses that same exact phrase, harag ish. Most mm. English translations translate Genesis 4 as Lemek killed a man, or I killed a man, he says. And then they ch- ch- uh, translate Genesis 49 as they killed men. Because the reference in Genesis 49 is to, uh, is to Simeon and Levi wiping out the inhabitants of Shechem. Mm-hmm. But it's not men. It's not he, they killed men. It's they killed a man. And I think the reason for that is to allude back to Genesis 4 and to depict Simeon and Levi as Lamech-like figures. Mm-hmm. They, they are being connected in their actions and behavior with Lamech. And if you don't have – and I looked at multiple translations to confirm this – and they all translate uh, Genesis 49 plural. They killed men, even though it's singular in Hebrew. One translation, the NASB, uh, footnoted that, that that it's singular, but in the in the text, it's they killed they killed men. And I think you'd miss that allusion uh, unless you you noticed in the biblical, unless you were reading right. reading Hebrew. Right. So that's just one example that came up in my class this week, and I and I mm. use that to say this is a really pre- prevalent feature. And, and there's just allusions all across the Bible that are critical for interpretation. Uh, and if you're not reading the biblical languages, you'll miss some of those. Mm. That's really um, good. So mm. that's that's another example in a biblical allusion. Yeah. Yeah. So another example, I hit on a couple different layers of meaning. One of them is syntactical meaning. Um, and one layer of that is genitive constructions. So if you've had experience with Greek, you may recall the many nuances of the genitive case. Um, And a lot of these can often be exegetically significant nuances. Um, Sometimes they're well known. But um, one nuance of genitive constructions is called the attributive genitive. And that's basically just a fancy way of saying uh, a noun is used as an adjective. But to, to use a noun as an adjective is to do something out of the norm. You could just use an adjective. That would be the standard form. So when an author, a biblical author, which they do use attributive genus frequently in the Old and New Testament, um, they're making – they're, they're drawing specific emphasis to the characteristics uh, that, they're, that they're highlighting um, instead of just using a, a simple adjective. Right. So as just kind of like an off-the-wall example to demonstrate this before we look at a biblical text, um, God of love. 
So God is the head noun and love is the genitive modifying God. And this is an attributive genitive. Um, and so you would convert of love to an adjective. And it might be loving God. So a loving God, the loving God, something like that. Um, and if it was going to be like an objective or a subjective genitive, then God would need to be in the genitive and, and love would be the head noun. That's just, you know, if somebody else is thinking about that. But the unfortunate thing with many translations is they often leave genitive constructions ambiguous rather than capture the nuance more clearly. So God of love, you'll see that way more than you'll see loving God. And it's because they're just they're not taking it as far because sometimes there's debate about the specific nuance and that's fair. Right. But sometimes it's unnecessary to leave it ambiguous. And I'd like to look at Hebrews 1.3 with you guys real quick as a great example of two ambigu ambiguously translated attributive genitives. So in the ESV, it's Hebrews 1, 3a. It, it reads, he is the radiance. So he is Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I mean, that right there, that's an incredible yeah, right. and powerful verse. <laughs> right. That'll right? preach right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But we can we can translate this more in a more nuanced way that captures the attributive genitive. So the first the first section, he is the radiance of the glory of God. Radiance is the head noun of the glory is the genitive, and it's an attributive genitive modifying radiance. And then it's of God, and that's a possessive, and it's it's implied in the Greek. So we've got um, Jesus is God's glorious radiance. So you convert the of the glory to an adjective. Now let's keep moving in the text in the exact imprint of his nature. And then he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So word is the head noun, uh, power of power. That's the genitive modifying word. We need to convert it to an adjective. So you would say powerful word. So now let's read this with the more nuanced translation. Jesus is God's glorious radiance and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by his powerful word. And that eliminates a lot of ambiguity in that text. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's awesome. That's a great yeah. example. Can I give one more? Go for it, man. Um, yeah, and this actually kind of circles back to word studies because um, Jeremy wasn't undermining their importance. No. And I agree with his emphasis on, you know, reading, this, mm -hmm. looking at discourse features. Um, but one example f uh, from my research that I would give is the Hebrew word evid. This word can be translated slave or servant. Now, that's quite relevant when you come to various texts in Scripture. Right. Uh, is, is this text talking about a, an, an indentured servant, uh, a cultic servant, maybe like a priest? Or is this text talking about a slave? And if a slave, what kind of slave? Is this, talking about, is this text talking about chattel slavery? Yes or no. And there's numerous examples. But thinking particularly about the, the Pentateuch and the slave laws in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, um, this is this is really important, right? To translate that the word "evid" uh, in those slave laws uh, correctly, um, and and so and again, this I can give you another, I can give you a more particular example from Leviticus twenty-five. The word "evid" is used multiple times to refer to different categories of people. Uh, in Leviticus twenty-five thirty-nine to forty-three, and Leviticus twenty-five forty-seven to fifty-five, um, I would say the word "evid" does not refer to a chattel slave, but Leviticus 25, 44 to 46, it, it uses this word evid, and the context indicates what, what, what is in view is, is what? It's a chattel slave, okay? Right. Whereas Exodus 21, Deuteronomy 15, use the same exact word, 
but I don't think chattel slavery is in view. And so, mm. if you don't have the tool, the like, you know, how do you, how to use a Hebrew lexicon and how to how to actually properly do a Hebrew mm. word study because mm-hmm. that's another issue. You know, yeah. sometimes, uh, you know, a lot of people do word studies in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the classic one is Romans one, the dynamis, the dynamite <laughs> of God, the gospel yeah, yeah, is the yeah. dynamite of God. No, mm. no, 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 etymological fallacy. <laughs> um, not at all. But yeah, knowing how to do a proper word study is important just for identifying what the text is talking about, right? Because right. if, if, you, if, you if, if you mistranslate the text, uh, your interpretation could, could, be <laughs> mm-hmm. could be wildly mistaken. And I think Evid's a really good example because it can be used. It has, it has a wide semantic range, right? Yeah. Cultic mm-hmm. servants, indentured servants, chattel slaves. And it's really mm-hmm. critical to understand what is being uh, said in each one of these texts. Right. So knowing mm-hmm. how to translate the text and how to do a word study is also re- really critical for pastors. Right. Do you have another yeah. example, Jeremy? Yeah, yeah. Let me just hit on one more. And you're right, Rob. I certainly am not undermining the usefulness and importance of word studies. Um, I just want to to help people see if you give time to this, there's more. Exactly. There's more for you here. Yep. Um, which is really important for um, communicating the truth of God's word. Uh, John four twelve. So this is Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman right at the well in Samaria. Um, in Sychar. And so in verse 12, uh, Jesus has already said, you know, if anybody drinks the water I give him, it's the living water, you know, he won't get thirsty again. And she says, uh, she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? In verse 12, he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Well, there's a couple things going on here. One, she introduces this question with a grammatical particle that indicates a negative answer. So what does that mean? That means she's not asking a legitimate question. It's rhetorical. She's saying, you are not greater than our father Jacob. Mm. If you wanted to put it again in question form, you would say, you're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? It's kind of like implying a no answer. Additionally, she uses the personal pronoun when it's unnecessary to intentionally emphasize you. You are not greater than our father Jacob. So, you know, again, there's there's exegetical right. um, payoff here to just knowing these these simple things about Greek grammar. Now, those are really yeah. good examples they yeah. all gave just then. And a lot of this, like, we just covered a lot. Yeah. So if <laughs> pastors listening, like, yeah. that was a lot. Sure. So for pastors uh, when they are, or anyone, when they're teaching or when pastors are preaching the Bible, how much of all of this work, some of these examples that you just mentioned, hmm. how much of all of the work with the languages do they do they bring into the, the teaching and preaching of the text? Because hmm. you don't want to just like, you know, as you're preaching, the Greek says this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, don't do and then that. a couple words later, yeah. the Greek says this. Mm-hmm. So, so you don't want to do that. So what are some good guiding yeah. principles? So us? I always say this. In one way, it doesn't come through at all. Like I've done a good, fair amount of preaching and teaching and rarely ever do I refer explicitly to the Greek or Hebrew. Mm-hmm. The way that it comes through is in my study, right? right? In my exegesis of the text, my understanding of the structure of the text and the message of the text. That's where I'm using the Greek and Hebrew. And that's then structuring uh, my lesson in mm-hmm. Sunday school or my sermon. And so in that way, it's it's affecting everything I do. So it doesn't get explicit mention. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that I think that can almost be a turnoff to some people, you know, they're not, they don't want to, they don't want to listen anymore, or they, they, they feel like the pastor is presenting themselves as smarter than them. Mm-hmm. But in other, so in some ways I try to avoid mentioning it also to encourage them, Hey, you can read this. You can see this in your English Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in another, in another way, it affects everything that I'm doing 
because all of the exegetical work has been done beforehand. And I, I'm a firm believer that the it, it depends it it differs genre to genre, but the structure and message of the text in the original language should shape in many mm-hmm. ways the structure yeah. of the sermon or the le- or the lesson. When I took yeah. Dr. Black for Greek in his syllabus, it's not a, a quote that's unique to him, but I think it was Sproul or somebody that's like it's an iceberg. You got this mm-hmm. massive it's a, it's part excellent. of it, yeah. and you've got this just little piece coming out of the water, and that's mm-hmm. kind of how you you incorporate this into the teaching and preaching. Mm-hmm. You definitely use it, and it definitely shapes your your study and, and what you're learning about yeah. the text, but you don't just, like, fire yeah. hydrant that onto yeah. the people. Because, actually, the goal of, of teaching scriptures is clarity, right, so mm-hmm. that people can hear God's word and apply it to their lives. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you give them a seminary lecture... You know, I would love that, but if you give them a <laughs> seminary lecture, they're not going to hear. The For the word. pastors yeah. who have that desire, come find Rob. That's right, yeah. and just come and, preach and just let him, yeah, just pre- come to preach my desk and just start. Otherwise, just don't do it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I basically would just echo what yeah. Rob has said, but just to add my own little point, if what you're drawing from the Greek and Hebrew is accurate, it will be impactful without saying Greek and Hebrew words. And most of the time, you can communicate the impact without reference to Greek and Hebrew. Um, but I do also understand. Uh, the person who says they they feel the need to at least indicate a conclusion they've drawn is based on Greek and Hebrew mm-hmm. if it's not readily apparent in yeah. English. Um, that's and good. that's one of the great things about exposition. You can take the ambiguity in a translation. I'm not downplaying mm-hmm. the translations, um, but they none of them can do it perfectly, right? There's right. just too They're many limited. constraints. They're, They're limited. limited. Yeah. Um, but the benefit of expositional preaching and teaching is that you can explain the places right. where there is ambiguity for clarity, like yeah, Rob absolutely. said. Yeah, and I've, the way I've seen that done oftentimes is like uh, I've seen pastors say, hey, this is a difficult point in the text. Show the three translations. Now, do you see the difference here? Mm. <laughs> here's the difference. Now, here's mm. the translation I think that is best, and it's because don't, I've done the work in the Greek or the Hebrew. And, mm. uh, yeah, I think I think that's I think mm. that's helpful. Yeah. Uh, help, yeah. Because, cause, you know, sometimes people are going to find these issues on their own if they read different translations right. or if they read the footnotes in their translations. So. Right. So, Rob, you mentioned this earlier. There, There is a group. Of 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 language uh, nerds or language yes. students, whatever you want to label nerds, them, nerds, that, nerds. that that meet uh, regularly throughout yeah. the semester. Uh, y'all typically go through a book mm-hmm. together. There's also other little groups that that do things. I think with uh, with different languages, like for Greek and Hebrew. Uh, and there's also tutoring involved with yeah. that. Jeremy, you you have taken part in that. I've seen mm-hmm. you because. Uh, for those that don't know, because this would sound really weird otherwise, Jeremy and I work across from yeah. one another. Mm-hmm. I'm not just sitting there, you know, perched up watching him through yeah. his office. But you've had students over there that you've tutored. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a sense of community mm-hmm. here at Southeastern amongst yeah. those that are interested and just want to get better at the languages. Yep. So let's let's just think of a pastor right now listening who loves the biblical languages. Like it's Rob Jeremy level mm-hmm. love uh, of mm-hmm. the languages. And in seminary he was someone who led these groups, yeah. who led these reading groups or participated in these reading groups with other students. But over the past few years, he's been serving in maybe a rural context or a context that doesn't have uh, the same resources or the people around him mm-hmm. where he can do this. So so how can he cultivate a love for reading the scriptures in their original languages, in his context, with his people? How can he cultivate that love and why is there value in doing this in community? You alluded to it earlier, Rob, that, mm-hmm. that there is value in doing this. So what is that value? Yeah. Yeah. The, the rural context sounds difficult, but one way I've seen this done is when you have a church that raises up elders from within, especially mm-hmm. if those elders don't have their own uh, seminary degree, if they don't have a seminary degree, 
Um, sometimes I've seen pastors essentially give these elders in training a seminary degree. Right. <laughs> uh, he becomes the professor of all the disciplines. Right, right, right. Mm. But including, I've seen this done, uh, where he'll he'll lead these elders in training through Greek and Hebrew. Now, that's mm. that might be uh, overly ambitious in some contexts, but I do think there's something to be said for elder training involving uh, theological education, uh, you know, the, the, it, mm-hmm. it's all context dependent. I realize that. But one way he could do that is to teach his elders in training, biblical Hebrew or biblical Greek. Um, man, I've also seen people just offer it to their congregation. You know, they announce it on Sunday morning. Anyone interested in learning the biblical languages? And maybe you get, you know, six or seven people to start and it dwindles down to three. And by the <laughs> end of the semester, he's got one, per- yeah, the pastor one has solid one, person, yeah. one solid person. But just that, the ability to teach another uh, student the biblical languages. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you got that pastor in that context, I would say, look, become the teacher, become the professor, you know, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. find how, how, whoever you can in your congregation, however few, you know, however few, pe- even if it's just one or two people and teach them biblical languages. Um, that, that'd be my first answer um, for, for that for that context. Yeah. Yeah. And just to add to that, I would say look around you. Maybe if it's not in your congregation, yeah. are there other local pastors or mm-hmm. teachers who who have an interest or a passion for it that you could try and, you know, join up with and do this together. Yeah. Um, and if you just can't find anybody at all in person, there are online options. Absolutely. Um, That's good. Let me just highlight one online group that I really enjoy. Um, and a lot of times they offer reading groups or somebody's interested in it on there. It's a Facebook group called Nerdy Biblical Language Majors. Yeah. So it tells you everything you need to know <laughs> about it right there. Um, <laughs> do y'all moderate this group? Is no, this no, no, group? no, 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 not at all. Barner, right? Yeah, William yeah. Barner. So yeah. there's some notable, uh, you know, biblical scholars on there. Yeah. Um, and there's like 10,000 people. So yeah. there are people who say, hey, we're going to read through this, you know, this year or whatever. Mm-hmm. And just find find community. That's good. Yeah. If you can't create it in your context, find it. One online. of the, you know, COVID was terrible, but one of the good things that came out of COVID was everyone's Zoom master now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so there's all kinds of online communities now that yeah. this pastor could participate in. It took uh, a while to get there, though, Rob. It sure we, did. we made some yeah. Zoom mistakes before oh, we got to be absolutely. pros at Zoom. Let's absolutely. just be honest. Yeah. All of us at this table and probably. And hey, not, everyone, not everyone's a pro at Zoom still, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. That's right. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, again, I think about workouts and exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a pastor and you don't have, you know, the ability to do the language or you, don't, you just don't have that knowledge right now, but you're listening to this podcast and Rob and Jeremy have sold you to go do it, find you someone who's kind of at that same level and you know, be accountability for one another. Find mm-hmm. find a local pastor. Jeremy, I love that. You know, there there mm-hmm. are other pastors that it would benefit them. I mean, obviously it benefits everyone, but especially pastors and church leaders, it's going to benefit you. So do mm-hmm. it together. Uh, and I, I got, Rob, to your point earlier, find people that are a little bit more advanced at it. Mm-hmm. Work with them, uh, whether that is in person or online, a part of one of these groups, or maybe you just say, hey, there's a conference coming up and yeah. it's going to deal with this. Yeah. Or yeah. there's a workshop that's yeah. coming up. I'm going to sign up for that. Yeah, that, that's actually really helpful. Yeah. There's the, like the Evangelical Theological Society hmm. um, and the Society of Biblical Literature have regional conferences where you can go and hear papers on the biblical languages so pastors uh, can participate in those societies. And that's one way to keep up their languages. They can, you know, if they join the society, they can present their own research. Right. Hmm. Um, so that, that's an, actually another great way yeah. to participate. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, I, again, I'm sold on this, just don't know how this is going to work out. Think about maybe auditing a class. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to get a degree mm-hmm. in this. You know, maybe you yeah. don't have the time or space to do a degree. Mm-hmm. Audit a class. Yeah. Uh, like go to these conferences, find certificate programs. There are so many resources out there that are both accessible and affordable 
that won't you know force you to move out of where you're yeah. at mm-hmm. where you can do this. Just don't don't look at it, say this is too difficult or I don't have the time for this uh, and, and be done with it. Put yeah, I wanted to say one other thing earlier along those lines as an appeal to pastors that you don't always want to be the Padawan of the commentary. You want to be the you Jedi master. You say that. So just for context <laughs> yeah. here, you want to be the... today is May the 4th. There you go. As we're recording this. That's and true. I didn't even think about that. that that's a, a Ronjor level illustration. Yeah, and it wasn't made. even intentional. So that's, uh, I don't know what to say about that. Um, <laughs> Providence. I like Star Wars. I'm not like a diehard Star Wars fan. But yeah, I mean, come on. You don't want to be. You're not that... Ecker level. Definitely yeah. <laughs> not. No, I mean, like to, to prove that, I'm watching The Mandalorian for the first time right now. Mm. So that's. Oh that's how gosh. late I am. On, and that, that just shows you my lack of deep commitment to Star Wars. All right, I'm getting can you guys edit that, that out? Can you edit that out? Uh, yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, we, we might need to edit that out. But, hey, that just shows it reinforces that you've made sacrifices that's to right. learn yeah. the language. Yeah. That's right. Oh, Beca- that's be- become a Jedi master. Don't remain mm-hmm. a, a Padawan of the commentaries. Mm-hmm. Well, well, brothers, that's all been so great. Those are all really good examples and just really good advice. But, you know, we're doing this series to highlight the importance of, of education. And I just want to... Just spend a couple seconds. Both of y'all have gotten your degrees. Everyone at this table has graduated here from Southeastern, uh, and it's kind of our mission, uh, kind of our slogan to 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 go to fulfill the mission. So, how has Southeastern equipped you to fulfill the mission, and and how are you currently living that out? How are you currently living out what you've learned or are learning here? Yeah, let's see if we can quote the mission real quick. Southeastern exists to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the local church or serve the church, and fulfill the Great Commission. I'm, dude, if you yeah. would have gotten that Boom. wrong, I would have yeah. gone straight to Dr. Lawless's <laughs> office yeah. and reported you. Well, as a two-time graduate, I better know it, right? That's right. Um, but seriously, as as doing one who's done my undergrad and grad studies here, um, Zebitz hasn't only taught me the biblical languages, but has also shaped me spiritually and theologically. I've been privileged to receive a well-rounded theological education and I mean, philosophy, theology, biblical studies, ethics, um, the church will be stronger when we have more of our people better equipped to understand and live out their faith. And Sevitz has prepared me to share the fruit of years of theological education with other believers. Um, so my goal has been to serve God in the local church by helping others to know God better and live for him. And I'm just thankful that Sevitz has given me a variety of tools to use to do just that. Um, and just a side note, I've, I've recently been called to a church as director of local outreach, and I see my studies as equipping me for that, because what we learn from the Bible and our study of it is not merely for personal knowledge. It's meant right. to transform how we That's think good. and speak and live in relation to God, to the church, to our families, and to the world around us. Right, which also means real quick that we have to switch to online chess. Yes, Just wanna that's let true. That be known. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. want the commitment on this podcast yeah. so that whenever he like, says, oh, I'm busy, I'm just like, no, right. you're not. You're playing me. That's we can right. sign a Jeremy cabinet. has a, a really terrible record when it comes to online chess. Who's better at chess between y'all two? On a board, we're pretty remember, Hold on. But remember, I can edit this out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I would say we're honestly even. Yeah, it goes back yeah. and forth. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm worse at playing online. I don't know what it is. Looking at a digital board, yeah, I just I'm not as good. Yeah, he gets me most of the time. Yeah, I should let you guys play. My daughter has a Harry Potter wizarding chess. Mm. It's just like the the board from the first Harry Potter book. Amazing. You know, mm. It's it's pretty great. Okay, Amazing. yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, for me, there's a lot of things I could say. I think probably two ways that I'm using my education. I I, I spend a lot of time in South America, uh, at, at a couple different seminaries training pastors, 
And then I uh, work for, like I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the the college at Southeastern offers a bachelor's degree in pastoral ministry at a local at two local prisons, and I teach at one of them. I teach Old Testament there, and that's a, that's a great mission field Man, um, in, in many different ways. But yeah, I, I love serving there. Just finishing up a course on Genesis this semester with uh, medium security prison prison, great environment. Uh, and, and these guys are going to be going out to be field ministers at different mm-hmm. prisons in the state of North yeah, Carolina. That's awesome. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's two, di- two different ways that I'm able to use the education here at Southeastern uh, to, to serve the church and fill the Great Commission. So mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, yeah. well, that'll do it. Jeremy and Rob, thank you both for joining today's conversation. If you're listening and you're considering starting or furthering your theological education, consider Southeastern. We offer a variety of degree programs focusing on biblical studies and the languages. Come learn from our amazing faculty, which includes Drs. Benjamin Merkel, Tracy McKenzie, Chip Hardy, Alan Mosley, Charles Quarles, and many more. Learn about how Southeastern can equip you to fulfill the mission by visiting sebts.edu. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found today's conversation helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope we've done that today with our conversation. 